Welcome to Review the Future, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at the impact of technology on culture. I'm Ted Cover. I'm John Perry. And today we're asking the question, what is an intelligence explosion and will it kill us all? Intelligence explosion is a term originally coined by I.J. Good, who is a British mathematician uh, who worked on cryptography during World War II, among other things. Uh, but after the war, uh, he came up with this idea of an intelligence explosion, which is the idea that as our machines uh, get smarter and smarter, at some point, uh, they'll probably surpass man. But even more than that, at some point, they'll be able to upgrade themselves, right? If man can design intelligent machines, then eventually more intelligent machines can also design intelligent machines, including their own successors. And uh, inevitably, when that happens, a smart machine becomes smart enough to design a smarter machine, which is immediately smart enough to design an even smarter machine. And that creates potentially a positive feedback loop. Right. Uh, and thus the term explosion. Right. So this, his idea was that this would lead right away to uh, machines that are not just uh, more capable than man, but that are uh, far in advance of man. And in a very short amount of time. Exactly. Because uh, with each cycle, it would get faster. The improvements would get faster. Uh, and it could be so fast that even, you know, within a few hours, say, of the first, you know, truly artificially intelligent machine, it might already be upgrading itself to where it's even vastly more intelligent than that. And then, you know, the time cycles might get shorter and shorter to where, you know, a few minutes later and then a few seconds later, each progressive upgrade cycle. So literally in the span of 24 hours from the first actual artificial intelligence that we create in a lab, we might have something that's so far beyond anything we could possibly imagine that uh, the entire world could be transformed. Right. That's what we uh, has been called like a hard takeoff scenario where, where essentially this happens um, instantaneously. On the surface, this sounds extremely like a science fiction idea. It sounds maybe very far-fetched, but it's, you know, fairly straightforward, you know, logic that gets us to this outcome. And, and it's logic that I at least find plausible, which is that, you know, we are developing, you know, more and more intelligent machines. And of course, by intelligence here, we don't mean, uh, you know, conscious necessarily in the same way that a human is or however you define that. We just mean, you know, able to, you know, perform functions and achieve goals. So we're not saying that it is conscious or even that it thinks it's conscious, just that it can be put into a new environment that it's not been in before, that's not been specifically programmed for, and it can react with success to a, a, a given goal. Right. And, and obviously our machines today are still pretty dumb, but the machines today are, are clearly more intelligent, you know, than the machines of yesterday. Yeah, we're making serious progress on this uh, in, in a whole host of areas. I think that's pretty clear. So, you know, who knows when uh, we might reach a point uh, that we're talking about where it's an actual intelligence explosion, but it seems like things do keep getting better and better. It seems reasonable to expect that at some point, uh, machines are going to cross the threshold of what we consider human-level intelligence, and then I don't see what would prevent those machines from upgrading themselves. So when would this happen? I mean, this could be way far off in the future, um, but there's a lot of people that seem to think this would happen, say, in the next hundred years, in the next century. Yeah, among futurists, it seems like a pretty fashionable to assume that this is happening uh, pretty soon, in the next hundred years, and maybe even sooner than that, like in the next 20 or 30 years. Correct. So it could be as far off as 2100, uh, or it could be 10 years from now, uh, but more likely people seem to think it's somewhere in the middle there. You know, it seems like 
we're probably going to get there eventually right. unless we destroy the planet first. Barring some kind of world-ending disaster like a nuclear war, sooner or later we're going to get to this place. And it could happen in your lifetime. So it could be relevant to you. If you plan to be alive for the next 40 years, which I certainly do. Yeah, then there's uh, a reasonable probability, not 100%, but not ignorable either, that this is going to happen. Meaning that it's probably worth thinking about this at least a little bit, given the scale of the impact it can Well, have. since it would be, I think it's pretty uh, uncontroversial to say, should an intelligence explosion happen and a new, you know, more intelligent than man intelligence um, that we invented exist in the universe for the first time, that would be uh, a momentous occasion for the human species and perhaps even for the universe, as far as we know. <laughs> um, Probably, or, or possibly the biggest event I that mean, we know of. Yeah, like on the scale of life emerging or, you know, re- yeah. really large events that, we are, that we're aware of. Um, and other people are working on this. Uh, the two institutions I know that are doing a lot of thinking about this are the uh, are MIRI, uh, the Machine Intelligence Research Institute. Right and uh, the Oxford Future of Humanity Institute. Right. And so these are at least two organizations. Uh, they're not exactly well-funded or far-reaching, but there are two organizations that, you know, take this question seriously to the point that they are, you know, set up to yeah, actually Their, their do missions some are pretty much... Serious thinking about yeah, this. Yeah, directed toward this. So I, I think, you know, is this a good thing or a bad thing if this happens, right? Uh, obviously, there's plenty of you know, stories about, uh, you well, the know, the knee jerk response, right. Is Terminator, right. Isn't yeah. that where you, you Skynet go first jokes, Skynet and the idea that, um, the computer will, uh, will kill us all. And then there's a certain amount of like, I think techno utopian pushback to that. Um, people like Kurzweil who seem to think, well, it's not going to be like that. We're not, it's not gonna be robots versus humans. We're all going to sort of be human and be robot. Right, and there's um, a Canadian science fiction author, uh, Robert J. Sawyer. He wrote a, a recent right. trilogy called the WWW Trilogy mm-hmm. in which it, uh, artificial intelligence emerges on the web, and it's it's more a utopian vision where the, you know, the computer is so enlightened and it doesn't, you know, it's not concerned with, you know, the more primitive, you know, human drives that, that cause us to, to make war with each other, et cetera, and so... Uh, that computer ends up essentially saving the day and ushering and you know a new paradise. So right. there's extreme possibilities. So those are, those, that that uh, defines the possibilities. A, a very powerful intelligence could destroy us all, uh, and then it could do a whole range of things all the way up to and including uh, making our lives perfect. There's not necessarily a moral dimension to intelligence, Right. Um, right. I think it's a it's a it's a mis- it's category mistake to assume that uh, smarter things would be either more or less moral. Right. Not human. And uh, along these lines, from those two organizations that we mentioned, one of the major uh, thinkers working at Miri is a guy named Eliezer Yudkowsky, and he has a quote where he says, uh, "The AI does not hate you, nor does it love you, but you are made out of atoms, which it can use for something else." So. Again, the AI doesn't necessarily have to be even right. good or evil in, in that sense of it. It could just have other goals. And along those same lines, uh, Nick Bostrom, who's somebody who works at the Future of Humanity Institute, has made the point kind of that we're making now, which is that you know intelligence and final goals are orthogonal to each other. Right. So you can pair any level of intelligence with any goal. Um, whether that goal is good for us or bad for us. Right. And the judgment of whether a goal is moral or not is is highly relative. <laughs> right. So how do we get them to do what we want, which is the next obvious question. Right. right. And, and this has been the subject of lots of science fiction, going back to Asimov and 
Right. He had the three laws of robotics uh, in his robot stories. Right. Which are presented as a kind of foolhardy attempt to make robots do what we want them to do. And in almost every story, the, the laws end up creating drama and going wrong um, and, and creating uh, morally unacceptable outcomes uh, from what seem to be morally acceptable rules. Well, and it's a fictional, you know, realization of the same, you know, ethical dilemmas that philosophers have always been struggling with, which is like, how do you actually codify human values and like right. what's good and what's bad? How do you make like, how do you boil that down into rules? Which ultimately, if you're trying to talk to a machine, you, you kind of have to do that. Um, now, I'm going to take a little bit of a detour here and, and bring up an old uh, classic horror story that's been retold numerous times. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen a version of this uh, somewhere or right. heard one. Yeah. Which is The Monkey's Paw, which uh, the original story was uh, written around 1900. Uh, and, you know, everybody's familiar with this, I think, basic idea of sort of the the genie story where the wishes go wrong so it right well it's a be careful what you wish for uh theme right and the idea in the story is when you make a wish you get what you wanted but in the worst way possible right so the family in this story finds this monkey's paw that grants them three wishes and the first thing that the guy decides to wish for is 200 pounds to make the final house payment uh to pay off his house and the way that he gets the 200 pounds is that his son dies uh, in an accident at the factory where he works, and he gets a He's settlement. Crushed by machinery. He fact. gets crushed by machinery, yeah, and relevant. so the man gets a settlement of exactly two hundred pounds. So he gets what he wanted, but obviously in the worst possible way at the yeah. expense of his son. Um, and then you know the story goes on, and it it gets worse from there. Where, but you know, I, how this applies is trying to give a machine a directive. Uh, when the machine is all powerful, you know, I mean, the lesson of that story is how explicit you might have to be. Now, the machine's not, you know, trying to deliberately misinterpret you necessarily. But, you know, imagine that instead of just some man trying to pay his bills, that this is, you know, uh, a scientist working for DARPA or, you know, somebody right. well, at Goldman Sachs. Well, the way that Sachs. this gets turned into Skynet, right, is that yeah. uh, they program the Skynet to protect uh, the country, right? And then it does an analysis and it finds... The human beings are the threat to the country and starts killing them, right? Isn't that the, isn't that how these things go wrong in 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 several? Uh, I mean, you can think of so many examples. Yeah, like, like you could say, yeah. uh, you know, I think that's the story. Computer too. protect the human race, and the, then the human the computer just decides to put us in a, a deep freeze, right? Until right. the until the universe dies, <laughs> until the heat death of the yeah. universe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I mean, like, there's so many ways that it could just it could execute the task that you gave it flawlessly, but you didn't you weren't specific enough, right? I think there's a big problem of just how do we specify what we actually want you say maximize human happiness and then it just turns us all into like pleasure zombies with our you right know, it we're... basically just puts heroin in the water supply and it it does the job uh but it doesn't do it the way we were thinking it might yeah i mean how do you how do we get the 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 computers to do what we want is actually really really complicated when you start to to think about it and the other thing about this is that it's completely asymmetrical so it's not like a race where we have to catch up and uh, you know augment ourselves or something in time because we're not even going to have the chance the the supposition right is the smartest to do human being on the planet today or the smartest human being that ever lived in in human history whether that's Einstein or Newton or, or pick your favorite right. genius uh, Turing is you know going to be you know a mere fraction like of what this machine will be able to do like we're not even going to be close this is not right. even like if this goes wrong, 
it's there's not it's not gonna be like terminator where there's a human resistance uh right because no human resistance would have any chance if this goes wrong it's over before we realize it's begun yeah so uh a couple people i think the main guy is somebody named omahundro I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but uh, people have written about the idea of sort of convergent uh, AI drives. By the way, as as we refer to things on this podcast, we're going to be posting links uh, below uh, the... Yeah, below the post on our website. If you go to reviewthefuture.com, you can find links to all of the things we're talking about. So we're going to mention things in passing and cite them when possible, but uh, a lot more information can be found there, just yeah. as a general note. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, uh, there's been a lot of writing about sort of convergent drives that might arrive in an artificial intelligence, uh, no matter what the actual goal is? The first and most obvious is self-preservation. This is like the bottom of your classic hierarchy of needs. You're going to assume that anything that's smart enough to uh, have some awareness that it exists is going to want to protect that existence. Right, because otherwise it immediately fails at achieving whatever its original goal was. If it dies, then then game over, right? Yeah, it's a pretty fundamental... um, prerequisite for achieving any additional goals is that you have to continue existing. Uh, The second one is goal content integrity, which, you know, again, it will be able to rewrite its goals. Right. uh, But it's not going to want to, because again, if if its original goal is, you know, maximize the Goldman Sachs bank account or whatever, (laughs) or protect the United States of America from terrorist threats or or who knows whatever its original goal is, uh, then obviously it fails immediately at that goal if the goal itself becomes replaced with something else. Another thing that it's going to be driven to do almost certainly is uh, to perform resource acquisition. To some extent, resource acquisition is just self-preservation. But then beyond that, it's going to want more resources because it's going to have things to put those resources to. It's going to have so much capability because of its intelligence that it's going to have lots of ideas. Um, And related to that is just efficiency, right? It's going to want to make the most efficient possible use of the resources it has. And then a a final convergent goal is just it's going to want to self-improve itself. If it makes itself better at thinking, at reasoning, at uh, seeing the world correctly. It's right. going to be better at achieving its goal. So when you put all this together, you potentially get a very bleak picture because you have an AI that takes off extremely rapidly, reaching this very intelligent point. And uh, you've tried to instruct it as well as possible. But as we sort of explained, like unless you're very, very precise, it may achieve its goals in a way that you don't want. And right. it also uh, is even going, if you're very precise, yeah. it may do that. It's it's very hard to imagine once it starts designing its own subsequent iterations. It's very hard to keep control of it. And once it's you know because of these convergent goals, um, once you've created it and it's off and running, it's going to you know fight for its own self preservation. So you won't necessarily be able to just turn it off. It's going to uh, try to preserve its original goal content, which means you're not necessarily going to just be able to update it to fix whatever previous mistake mm-hmm. you baked into it. And it's going to be aggressively acquiring resources, which might mean, uh, in the worst case scenario, it's literally acquiring the atoms that make up your body right. to do something else with them. Yeah. What are the counter arguments to this or the criticisms to this idea? Um, you know, because obviously we don't want to present a one-sided picture. And, and probably the thing that I hear the most often um, said in response to this is just kind of dismissing it as silly, right? I mean, it's not even so much of an argument as it is like, Oh, this sounds like science fiction. We don't have our machines today, you know, barely work, you know, my my printer jams all the time or whatever it is they complain about. This is so far off and so wildly off in the future that 
it's just silly to even worry about. And along those lines, like uh, a book that I'm reading, just happened to be reading right now, coincidentally, is is Tyler Cowen's new book, Average is Over. And he has a section in which he kind of addresses this idea of intelligence explosion and pretty much just dismisses it out of hand by essentially making it sound silly. Uh, so he, he does acknowledge that it's possible. I'm going to just read from the book for a second. He says, if we're talking about the distant enough future, we must assume virtually anything is possible. But the evidence so far doesn't suggest this kind of unstable cascade, meaning the intelligence explosion, to be very likely. Even the strongest programs need human assistance every step of the way. And he goes on and talks about how, like, obviously today we don't have anything close. Um, but then he, you know, he gets even more dismissive as he goes on. He ends that paragraph with, The truth is there are no real vampires, no dragons, and no HAL 9000s. Let's not worry about them appearing under the bed or in our hard drives. Uh so he just kind of paints a cartoonish picture of the idea and just dismisses it. Well, this is it. just another version of the it's not happening now and therefore it can never happen argument that people make about virtually every kind of technology. And the thing about that is, uh, you know, on a certain empirical level, they are right. It's not happening now. Right. Um, but, uh, and and nobody who's and maybe it is speculating about this is saying that this is... Um, happening now that there are people who there are a couple of people who've been bold enough to say we think this is going to happen you know uh within 30 years or or something or but, like 10 uh, years i think um uh oh is ben it ben gertzel ben gertzel thinks we're going to do it in 10 years but ben gertzel uh is you know a software programmer who's uh trying to do this himself and he's trying to raise money probably and too. he's trying to raise money so he's first off he's uh he's got to believe in what he's doing or <laughs> it's going to be hard for him to do it and secondly yeah i think he's also promoting something he's got a business so I think, you know, he's very motivated to believe that the time scale is, is short. The main defeaters seem to be physical. So whether there are physical limits we don't know about uh, on just how intelligent something can be. Uh, and and whether, remain stable or something. And, yeah, without, say, going crazy. I mean, I'm putting that in air quotes. But like, you know, uh, what we would call going crazy, sort of losing its ability to correlate its actions to its goals, you know? Right. I heard an argument one time that it will, like, a smart enough machine will basically... I, I, I'm sure, like, these places like Miri would have a counter-argument to this, and I don't know what it would be, but, you know, that a smart enough machine that's essentially maximizing a utility function to achieve whatever goal it's been assigned will eventually just game the utility function right. well, that's by just, like, inc right. directly incrementing whatever the variable is. Right. It'd be the equivalent of you or I just, like, directly, you know, wireheading and stimulating our brain to make us happy without actually right. doing I mean, any of the things to... It's not that yeah. different from the computer becoming a heroin addict, right? It's, like, going to reprogram itself to desire something else <laughs> that it could easily achieve. Like, basically turn itself into a pleasure loop. Well, it'll just realize that what it's really trying to do is maximize an internal variable. So right. it'll just set that variable to maximum and be done. To maximum, right, <laughs> right. right. I'm sure there's an argument against that, but, you know, that's one reasoning. Well, it's not necessarily going to happen, but it could happen. Yeah. That's one way that um, an, an intelligence could fail to uh, explode. Sure. Um, and there are lots of ways it could fail. We're not suggesting that this is inevitable, but on a long enough time scale, it seems likely, and on a short time scale, it seems likely enough to worry about. Another... Uh, criticism of this or alternative way of looking at it uh, that we've that we've heard about is uh, one that's put forth uh, most famously by Werner Vinge, the uh, great science fiction writer. He presents a different way of looking at it. Sure. He's essentially saying that this is the equivalent of like the event horizon of a black hole. It's a point past which we can't really guess or measure because, you know, one way of looking at these intelligences is that they're going their relationship to us is going to be sort of like our relationship to ants, you know, not right. necessarily in terms of whether we 
they want us in their house or not, but just in terms of the the scale of our intelligences and the way that an ant is unaware of our presence, even when we're like picking it up and moving it. Right. But we're, of course, aware of the ant's presence as long as we can see it. I think that's a good way to look at how these intelligences may interact with us. And if, if we're the ants and they're the humans, it's it's a, it's pointless for the ant to uh, try to guess our motives. It's a statement of, of agnosticism, right? It's saying we right. can't know. I mean, essentially, these are right. gods we're talking about. These are kinds of gods, yeah. And, and we wouldn't gonna, know yeah. how they would behave. So would they be benevolent? Would they not be benevolent? Uh, can we you know, write a program that forces them to be benevolent? And you could, at a, a certain perspective, would say, well, this is just by definition, beyond our mental right. capacities we can to even determine. We probably can't write a program that makes them benevolent any more than we can say a prayer that makes gods benevolent. It's like sort of the same kind of logic. And uh, so what we're seeing here is basically the intelligence explosion represents a singularity um, in human history. So that term is you know being borrowed from mathematics, and it's not meant literally, but uh, it, it means uh, that it's a point past which you can't meaningfully make predictions. In a way, it's a weaker claim uh, than the claim that we're making, um, but it's a compatible cl- uh, claim because uh, we, we agree with, I mean, I think to a certain extent, you can't make very good predictions past that time. I think you can make predictions, but they'll be pretty wildly speculative. Um, right. And then another uh, criticism, which I won't spend much time on because we mentioned it earlier, is this sort of more utopian vision that right. a super intelligence uh, it essentially has to pair with uh, super benevolence and that, you know, a software being, um, you know, is not concerned about things like scarcity. And so it'll be able to create a positive sum environment where everybody is better off and it won't feel the need to compete for resources. And uh, there, there'd be no reason for it to be opposed to us. Um, and I think, you know, the, the main argument yeah. against that is just that, well, you know, if, if that seems naive to me, I think yeah. that's a way things could turn out. Sure. It does, I wouldn't discount it. But it hardly seems assured that, uh, to me, that intelligence is uh, equivalent to morality in that way. Uh, another idea, and this one I find uh, actually pretty interesting, um, and I, I, this is not exactly how Kurzweil puts it, but I think that he would probably have to be in this camp, mm-hmm. is the idea that there's going to be a continuity with humanity. Right. Um, this won't be just a moment where there's a hard takeoff and then all of a sudden it's us versus the machines where we inevitably get crushed. It will be humans themselves augmenting themselves. And, you know, at some point we'll maybe stop being human by normal definitions, but it'll be kind of a progression of the same. Right. Well, that's one way to look at it, that there's a a weaker version of this continuity with humanity argument. That's just um, one way that these AIs could develop is that they could think of themselves as human perhaps because they're uh, taught and raised by humans, or at least some early iteration of them was. And it's not, it's not entirely certain that that would go away. So if they think of themselves as being human and they feel continuity with humanity, there's, I think, a reasonable, reasonably high chance of benevolence. Um, right. A, a lot higher than if they don't feel that way. But you have to convince them that they're human. So that, that I think, becomes, again, a sort of a pre-programming challenge uh, of giving it the right in, uh, I'm not saying it's an inevitability, but it seems like it's something that could naturally arise right. uh, from a self-improving AI that, right. that that started out in a human culture and then uh, left it, essentially. That's definitely possible. Um, but I also want to paint, you know, a, our particular scenario of like what, you know, extreme continuity might look like, right? Which right. would be like, let's say that the way that we get artificial intelligence is not in a laboratory somewhere in some research facility in China. It's we get, um, you know, we all 
are augmenting our brains. Perhaps we all have uh, some sort of uh, uh, networked nanobots that are in our brain, which right. has been, you know, proposed by various, you know, science fiction scenarios. Right. And let's say that they, you know, augment all of our intelligence together. And we're not, you know, at the point that we're exploding with intelligence that we can, you know, are smart enough to achieve this positive feedback loop, but we're all progressively getting smarter. And let's say, you know, this technology is cheap enough that more or less most people on the planet have it. And then you can right, imagine right, that right. when like the key upgrade comes out that kind of tips the scales and sets off the intelligence explosion that, you know, imagine everybody kind of downloads that upgrade at the same time, the way you would download a software update. Right. And if you had that, then it's sort of this, you know, hive mind takeoff of all of humanity just sort of upgrading itself in concert. And right. you don't have this, you don't have That's the rivalry. That's an alternative to the hard takeoff model. And this is something that we should talk about, right? Because this is the idea of whether the intelligence explosion happens in a single individual, right? Sure. The idea of a singleton, which is like one hyper-intelligent intelligence among all of us, sure. is really different from the idea of a broadly, or even semi-broadly, shared intelligence explosion where a, a group of individuals, it could be not everyone, but even just... A lot of people. Yeah, I guess I should clarify um, that 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 situation I just described was was kind of mixing and matching two things. So that was con- right. continuity in the sense that humans were themselves becoming the future AIs, but I was also saying that it was dispersed to everybody. And you're right. talking about that may not be the case. That uh, may fact, or may not be, be the, the case. case. But uh, I think if we're interested in friendly AI, it's actually worth bringing this up. Uh, it, it it appears that a distributed uh, non singleton. Um, version of the intelligence explosion has a higher likelihood of friendliness. I would imagine that to be the case. Just like even having two, you think there might be some balance of power at work there? Yeah, I think this is like a basic function of of just how things in the universe work, that competition among powerful entities is generally best for the things that aren't the powerful entities that are sharing the world with it, whatever. You know, I think uh, from a society point of view, it's probably more stable and less dangerous to have multiple powerful AIs than to have a single one. Well, and of course, there's a, there's a counter to that as well, which is that if this is happening on the super rapid timescales that we're imagining, you could have like five simultaneous super intelligences that compete uh, and settle that battle where one is victorious and all that happens in five seconds. <laughs> and, well, and but that still might be uh, a, a better world than one in which it's only a single one. Uh, although that's absolutely true. Well, I mean, it might end up with a single one. It just might be, mean that, like, you know, the long there's a long protracted war in AI time yeah. for dominance between these five AIs, but in our time, that happens in five seconds. And right. so to us, it just looks like one dominant thing right. appearing like anyways. Right, like the web page doesn't load for a moment, and then when, then when it does, the world is uh, <laughs> firmly in the hands of the exactly. winner. And then, well, so at least then in that case, competition chose the strongest AI. Now, uh, whether or not it chose the most moral AI, again, is a question that... We'll have to live through it to find out. Right. One of the things we will be doing in in the future on the podcast uh, is actually doing reviews um, of movies and uh, also books, nonfiction and fictional. Yeah. Um, with you know, with regards to. Uh, you know, are they good or not, but also how well are they representing... Uh, yeah, we're not going to worry too much about if they're good. We're going to mostly talk about how they are uh, interesting from a point of view of speculation and, you know, what 
kinds of things that we're, you know, that we're interested in, they bring up. So that's something that you can look for from us in the near future. But... Yes. And if you uh, are the creator of such things, you can uh, send us an email and we will potentially read your book or... Send us an email anyways. Tell us that we're wrong about everything. Yeah, absolutely. Start a fight with us. Leave a comment. And we'll... Uh, flame us. We'll flame you back. We will. We are... Uh, we find that fun. Okay. Thanks. All right. Thanks for listening. <laughs>